This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Here in Dallas, Texas, this afternoon, I'm uh, here at a syndication seminar. Holding my friend Lowell Hornbuckle on site. Joining us. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me and coming to Dallas. You know, it's my hometown. So glad yeah. to have you. And, um, you know, we usually don't do these with the video, but I figure since we actually put on some decent clothes, come with us. You don't always wear a tie on the radio? No. no. Oh, okay. Sometimes yeah. I don't even wear, wear pants. I understand. Either, so. Probably wouldn't have gone over so well with the hotel. Exactly. Yeah. Tell us what you do, how you're making your money these days. Right? Sure. I'm in uh, assisted living, and uh, so I syndicate assisted living deals. As an investor, I invest in other real estate transactions like multifamily, workforce housing, things like that. But you know, 99% of my effort and energy is directed toward assisted living. So, so basically, I live, breathe, eat, sleep assisted living. That's what I think about 99% of the time. Um, so got a few facilities here in Dallas, and uh, you know, I'm sort of building a business from the ground up here, and it's gone really well. And now we're in the process of across the state lines and do them in other cities and states as well. We've never talked about this on the podcast. I've mentioned it a few times and I'm very interested in this because of the baby boomer, but you know, just for the person who doesn't know, maybe explain what assisted living facilities are. Yeah, sure. There's some other terms also used too for it. Yeah, sure. So basically just to kind of run you through the, the gamut of what this industry looks like, um, there's independent living, which is basically apartments for seniors, 55 and up. Although most of them are probably 85 years old, I'm not 55, but 55 is generally the minimum age. Then there's assisted living. Assisted living are for people that need a little extra care. So there's something called ADLs, activities of daily living. And when people need help with those activities, those would be things like uh, grooming, feeding, medication, uh, you know, showering, uh, things like that. And so when someone needs assistance with those things, um, they have a few different options. One of the most common is going into assisted living, in which case there's 24-hour staff to help them with whatever their needs are throughout the day. So that's what I do. And then from there, you also have what's called memory care or Alzheimer's care. And what that is is when people have dementia, other symptoms. At the higher loss. level of care. Yeah, it's a lot of times people that with memory loss have assisted living needs, but they also have cognitive needs as well. So they may be physically in perfect condition, but they may not... Uh, be aware of time and space. They may not remember you. They may wake up every day, not remembering what happened the day before. So a specialized level of care to sort of make an environment that's safe and comfortable for them. And then beyond that, you have what's known as skilled nursing or, or CF. And uh, those are traditionally what we call nursing homes, although they seem more like nursing institutions or nursing hospitals or sometimes nursing prisons. Um, and, and so basically those are kind of the various levels of care that you have in the space. Right. And assisted living is like, you don't need that. You need a, some kind of specialization and you need that technical staff, but it's a lot less regulation than the SNFs. Or the Correct. Yeah. I mean, the highest level of regulation as far as that goes would be the nursing facilities. Um, and then assisted living is regulated, but it's not regulated federally. So, uh, nursing homes are often regulated at the federal level, state rules as well. Uh, assisted livings are state by state. So essentially, uh, Texas would have different rules than, say, Hawaii, for example. So uh, what that does is it means that you can find places where the states are open and welcome to the idea that they know they need and have this population that has this need. And so they try to make the rules that allow seniors to be safe, but also that are business friendly to allow ease of businesses to open to fill that need. You know, some states, for whatever reason, even though they have the need, 
they make it very difficult to get in the space. And the, the, the downside of that is it raises prices and also keeps people from bringing on the necessary inventory to ensure that people get the care they need. And one of the tricky things about this is getting getting set up. You need to get go through the state and get get all the permits. Sure. Yeah, there's a licensing process. So generally, you know, like with any business, you've got to make the fire marshal happy. And then of course, you also have generally like a health agency with the state, which will then certify your business, give you a license. And that license usually lasts for a year, two years, depending on the state, with sometimes random visits or annually scheduled visits every so often. Yeah, and this is something that, in terms of baby boomers, demographics, pretty much a no-brainer. But is there any other kinds of high points that you point to? Why is why you personally chose assisted living? Well, sure. So I think everyone when we talk about assisted living, we always talk about the baby boomers. But you know, the reality is is that the baby boomers aren't going to interact with assisted living for the ten or twelve years. You know, the oldest baby boomer right now is basically 72, 73 years old. The average age in assisted living might be 85. So there certainly are baby boomers in assisted living, but they're not the predominant. They're not the predominant demographic. So the baby boomers are really an interesting trend that's coming, but really isn't happening currently. The, the end is actually starting to retire. Correct. They're starting to interact maybe some independent living products, or they're you know uh, living at golf communities or, or senior communities. Maybe they're downsizing from a 4,500 square foot house or a 3,000 square foot house to a sit in uh, maybe an urban condo. So you're starting to see all these things that are starting to change with cities and um, you know communities like Phoenix and Florida, where you have a lot of retirees coming in. So they're definitely impacting things. So the baby boomers are certainly a big part of this space, and it's something we want to talk about. But the thing that, that I really love about the business is that I get a chance every day to wake up and help people. And I've been in other businesses before where I know that I was helping people, but maybe they didn't feel that way. You know, if you saw someone something they need, whether it be a car or you know, office supplies or anything for that matter, you're helping somebody, but maybe they don't resonate with your product. Like, you know, the car is a tool or the office supplies are just an expense for them. With this, we get people every day that are coming in and saying, hey, my mom or dad or my spouse has been struggling in this other environment. Your environment's so much better and you were able to solve a problem. You know, for the first time now, I can go on vacation because I don't worry about mom or dad's care. And that's, that's amazing. I mean, I've had people that have come to me and said, I haven't gone on vacation for three years because I'm scared to leave because I know they're going to call me with a problem that they can't handle. And, and I think what I like about your business is you use the word boutique. Small small houses where you actually know the residents. How, how, what's the average size of you familiar with it? In? So we do, in Dallas, we do eight-bed facilities. So the city of Dallas uh, regulates you doing only eight beds. In the state of Texas, you can do 16. So if you're in a, a city that has maybe looser zoning or you're in a outside of city limit area, you can do 16 beds. Um, but we do eight bed facilities. And we use the word boutique because we go in and we design really nice high-end facilities. Um, so there's some photos of the facilities on our website if you want to check that out. It's thesageoak.com. Uh, so T-H-E-S-A-G-E-O-A-K.com. So thesageoak.com. Yeah, we'll, we'll link it up on the show notes. Perfect. And uh, there's some good pictures because I think it really gives everybody an idea what the concept is. So, you know, these are not dark and depressing type environments. These are light, airy, really nice, you know, 4,500 square foot homes. Regular homes. It's a regular, a regular ranch style home inside a neighborhood. The only difference is instead of having, you know, four bedrooms and three baths with a garage and all this, we have eight bedrooms with maybe five baths or eight bedrooms with eight baths. So that um, it's an environment where basically we're just utilizing the space in a different way. And then, you know, we have these big dining room tables that are designed to seat eight or 10 people. 
um, and big common areas because a lot of our residents' time is spent in common areas. And so whereas in a, a guest bedroom in a regular house might be you know, 200 square feet, our bedrooms may be 140 square feet, a little smaller, and then they have these big bathrooms that are attached that are wheelchair accessible, that are ADA compliant. Showers have grab bars, you know, the, you know, the, the, the area underneath the sink, you can roll a wheelchair up to it, not hit your knees on the counter, that type of thing. So definitely moving walls around, not just take the big room and just put up four walls and now you have to create another few bedrooms. That's right. I mean, there are some people that, that operate in that way, you know, with us trying to be the boutique senior living company, we really want to create an environment where it looks like we've really thought this through. So, for example, a common thing to do would be a garage conversion. So a typical three-car garage or two-car garage could become you know, two bedrooms and two bathrooms, maybe two bedrooms and one bathroom. And so, because you don't really have a need for a garage at, at this type of facility. So um, it's a very well thought out thing. One thing we do in all our design projects is we actually employ a, a commercial architect and make the houses ADA compliant, So we, which is the American with Disabilities Act. So basically we uh, meet the same codes that a commercial property would meet. A lot of uh, restrictions on grading on ramps. Exactly, the ramps have to be a certain grading. You know, the literally the handles on the toilet have to be on a certain side. You have to have grab bars all over the place, and light switches have to be a certain height. Things like that. Cool. So you didn't start off doing this from the start, and I don't. I don't really recommend anybody getting started you know, without maybe a little bit of experience. Sure. You, you've you've gone through an academy where you, they kind of teach these guys, but. Let me tell us about how your story is. How you get? How did you get started into real estate investing? Sure. In general. Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, I think you know one of the things I do is like I said with the academy, I help teach students how to how to do what we're doing, uh, how to you know, start these small assisted living facilities. And uh, one of the things I always tell them when they ask, you know, what what do you do in your company and what is your role? And I say, well, it's really shaped by my past. So I came from for a long time. I ran a car dealership. And so things like sales and marketing and interacting with customers, even if they're upset about something, that's not intimidating to me at all. I love that. I love helping solve a problem. If someone's upset, I want to be able to calm them down and try to you know, get them to a place where they're happy again. So from my background, that's kind of what I do day in and day out. The healthcare side, the, the, the care side is kind of foreign to me. So what I set out to do originally was... Um, find someone that could help solve that problem. So I hired people that had the healthcare background that had been administrators of properties. So kind of fast forward a little bit, rewind a little bit. My initial interaction with real estate was probably like a lot of most of your listeners is I, I bought a couple single family homes, put them in my own name, used my own money, ran out of money, ran out of credit, found a private investor. And then one day ended up with 40 or 50 houses. And then what I realized was, is that I wasn't really happy doing it. You know, it, it, it was a lot of work and a lot of energy, and, and sometimes the, the profit just wasn't enough for me to, you know, quit my day job. It was, a, it was a hobby that made a little bit of money, right. basically. Right. And so I knew that I had to find something else. And so I kind of went on a journey. You know, I was fortunate enough that I'd done pretty well financially, saved some money up. And so I could kind of decide, do I want to get in apartments? And do I want to get in self-storage? Or do I want to get in mobile home parks? And on a fluke, I heard about this this opportunity, and honestly, I fell in love because you know I've had some family members that have had negative experiences with assisted living or negative experience with hospice. And um, when I started doing this, man, all those old feelings came back, and I realized that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. And I think a lot of people, you know, they'll go into multifamily because that's the obvious progression. Sure. Is you know, it's a single family home. You get it. You're comfortable with right. it. It's just more homes. 
which you've kind of dabbled in that initially, but then you found a home with the assisted living. Sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of really smart people that say, you know, kind of invest in what you know. So all of us interact with housing, right? We live somewhere. Right. So that's why almost all investors usually get some kind of starting housing because they understand it. They've rented a house. They don't, they don't think it's that complicated. They lived in an apartment or they bought a house. Right. There's not that intellectual leap. Like, Correct. Uh, everybody who drives their car thinks they're a transportation engineer. Right, like they, right. They get it. Sure. So it doesn't mean you should do it. Exactly. So with, with assisted living, it was different for me because I didn't have, I mean, I had a little bit of family background with it, but it was totally foreign to me. And so I made the decision, I'm the type of person, if I'm going to go buy a Dairy Queen franchise, I'm going to go make the fries for a week because I just want to know the ins and outs of the business. And some people find that odd, but, um, you know, if you're, if you're a boxer, one of the things you got to do, you got to learn how to take a punch, right? So you're going to get hit occasionally. And there's a famous saying, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? Mike Tyson. Mike right? Tyson. Yeah. So, so basically for me, what that meant was diving into the business and learning the business in a way that meant that, you know, I could say, look, I've done tours. I've talked to families. I've, I've helped write care plans. I've helped assess a residence to determine that they were eligible to move into the facility. You know, I've, I've sat with people during their final hours of life. So it gives me a sense of calm because I don't, I know that if there's a struggle or a problem with the property that I probably can dig down on my experience and find a solution or I can call someone that can't. And so as a business owner, when you understand your core business, it gives you a sense of peace. Um, I've been in situations before where I've been in businesses I didn't truly understand. I wrote a check, you know, and- Investing as a passive. I, well, or a passive or a partner, but I was really dependent on the other person. And it's very terrifying because if something goes wrong, you don't know how to fix it. So you're like, I got to find this next person. So for me, what I love about what I do is, is that I, I have a, enough of an understanding of the business that if I had to replace someone that was important or I had to go in and roll up my sleeves and get it done, I wouldn't be scared to do that. And it's been an amazing journey because one thing about assisted living, I think your listeners will really, res will really resonate with, is it's not a... It's not a highly competitive space like a lot of other real estate investing. Right? It's a high barrier to entry and not a lot of people get into it. There's that and there's also some psychological things because most people are scared by the healthcare piece. So what happens is someone like myself in a matter of three years can just dive into the business and become in some ways a thought leader in the space where people are you know, calling me up saying, hey, I've got this deal, I've got this, I've got that. Can you answer this question for me? And I'm like, hey, I've only been doing this for three years, but I put a lot of hours into it, but not a lot of time in terms of years. So it's allowed me to really kind of compress what you would see maybe in the apartment space may take a little bit longer to be thought of in that way or in single family homes or the note business or whatever it is. There's so many people doing that. So many people teaching other people how to do that. Your voice really gets drowned out. And so in a really short period of time, I've been able to kind of position myself as being part of the academy so that I can help people do this because my goal is I want more investors and more operators in this space because as you said, the baby boomers are coming. We need to be ready for them. And they want to interact with these boutique products, not these 200-bed facilities that are so common. I recently came back from kicking the dirt in the high elevations in Panama, the site of the investment I am proudest of in my personal holdings, which is Turnkey Coffee Farmland Parcels. Coffee, cash flow, and a legacy investment within Turnkey Management. Go to Simple Passive Cash Flow backslash coffee to get a parcel in your mind before the whole mountain is gone. And what I think I, I, you know, a lot of guys that listen, 
they, they do single family homes and they're looking to take that next step. Mm -hmm. For those guys that dabble in this and dabble in that, maybe go to a seminar here and there, what was something that you made you kind of jump right in? For me personally, it was me writing that check for 20 grand. And at that point, I was kind of committed. Sure. But was, it, was, that, was that something that you did? Or was there something that you saw in the system living that that was it? Some, somebody you talked to? Or, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously... You know, one of my mentors is Gene Garino. He runs the uh, Residential Assisted Living Academy. Um, I'm on the staff there. So basically when they have a support call uh, or sometimes help educate the students, it's kind of my role. Um, so Gene uh, owns several houses in the uh, Phoenix area that are residential assisted living facilities. Very popular place for seniors. Absolutely. And uh, Phoenix is a great market for this concept. And uh, he decided that as a, as a teacher, he wanted to you know, show people how to do what he was doing because they were always asking, hey, what is this you're doing? And so he's really built this, this awesome academy that's really much bigger than his assisted living business. So he is just this masterful teacher. And he can take someone who's a little intimidated and they come to Phoenix and Gene and his staff, including me, will help get you from that, hey, I'm scared, I don't know what to do, to here's how we support you all the way through the process and you can get one of these open. Yeah. The goal is to have a thousand care homes opened by the residential assisted living facility. Well on our way, um, but we need more people to jump in and tackle new markets. And um, so you can do this almost anywhere in the country. Uh, some places work better than others, but the reality is almost every place in the United States and even a lot of places across the globe have aging population. This is a major need and we need good people, caring people, smart business people, that understand that you can do good and do well. What at what point in uh, your previous business life did you sort of make a mistake, and what did you learn from that? Well, starting out in this, I got I got into management. You know, I was, when I was 21 years old, I was managing a, a fairly large department at a car dealership. It was a several million dollar year apartment department, and I was 21. And you know, when you're young and you get promoted and you go from being someone's peer to being their supervisor or whatever the case may be. You know, I think my biggest mistake was I used to overcompensate. You know, I, I didn't know how to lead. And so I had to kind of learn that process. And so, you know, I was probably at one point in my career, a very insecure leader, meaning that take it to your make it. Yeah. Or, uh, or just, I knew that I, I knew that I, I mean, yeah, I was faking it, but at the same time, um, more like along the lines of I felt like a pretender. And so I had to sort of bristle and kind of puff out my chest. And the reality is, is that people are going to resonate with lead. You know, there's, there's, there's leaders that resonate and there's leaders that don't. And early in my career, I definitely was a leader that didn't resonate with people. And so, you know, being 21, you start to mature, you get older, you get some experience under your belt, you start creating credibility because you do this and do that. So the biggest lesson that I learned was is that, you know, you have to be able to be empathetic to, to people that work with you and understand their situation. And if you can understand their situation, you can try to create win-wins that allow, enable them to be good employees and, and, and good producers for the company and help you accomplish what you want to accomplish by helping them get what they need. So if they want to advance in their career, you help them with that. If they want to improve their production, you know, there's a lot of conversation about, if, you know, if you're a leader, you really should be a coach, not a cop. And I definitely started off in my career as a cop. And, you know, the reality is, is that coaches are a lot more resonating than being a cop. But it makes sense, like, you know, when you're managing a bunch of sales guys or hunters, as we call them. Sure. But now you're dealing with nurses and other, other more service-based sure. employees. I mean, 
is it is part of it just like employing the right people that actually care or like what are some ways that you there's definitely a i mean there's it's, it's amazing there's definitely a big difference between managing a salesperson who's commission-based and then managing a caregiver for example very different personality sets uh, very different income brackets um, very different motivations you know the salesperson is very money motivated good caregivers oftentimes are not motivated by that they're motivated by uh, doing good things in the world by helping their clients so it's definitely a very different process for sure. At the end of the day, people are people, and uh, the vast majority of people, no matter what they're doing, they want to do something where they feel like they're doing good, they have a sense of purpose, they want to be fairly compensated for that, and they want a boss that cares about them. Right? They want a boss that will um, you know, give them a hug when they need it. They want a boss that will say, hey, take a day off because you seem burnt out when they need it. But they also, ultimately, most people want a boss that when they're not doing a good job, will hold them accountable, and tell them, hey, you're not doing a good job, but here's a solution on how to fix it. And you know, I think a lot of times when I see managers or leaders or entrepreneurs, one of the mistakes they make is they say, hey, you fix this, but they don't actually provide a solution. Right. Like they're like, you figure it out. Well, no, I mean, here's here's the problem. Here's a few suggestions on how we can improve this situation. Whatever whatever one works best for you, give it a shot. And they take ownership. Yeah, exactly. Or, or have a conversation. Hey. You've brought to me a problem. What do you think the solution is? And kind of do a democratic method where it's like, guys, we have this resident that's having a problem or having a challenge. How do you think we should solve it? And let them go through the thought exercise with you and they determine, okay, well, these two options seem like the best option. Let's try this one or that one or both. And I think that's what ultimately gives you the edge. I mean, there's a lot of assisted living facility operators out there. Um, probably not as much as we need, but... You know, somebody told me this who ran a property management company, and they said, "Well, you know, just the just the sheer numbers. We need to pay them. We need a twelve dollar an hour employee who operates at a fifteen dollar an hour employee. And the only way we do that is by giving them ownership, not monetary ownership, but taking ownership of what we're doing sure. here and making them actually care. Right. And that was in that business, like that was everything. Sure. We give them pieces, but." That's what gave them the edge. Sure, absolutely. Well, I think with us, you know, we we definitely number one, the most important thing is your, the ownership and the, the leadership of the company. They have to care. Bottom line. So, I legitimately care that the results in our facility are good. You know, and a lot of businesses, the, the metric is, you know, how much money you collect. It's all bottom line. It's all profit and loss and cash flow statements. But with me, it's it's like, hey they're not going to move. You have to really upset someone in a senior housing team to pack up their room and move. It's disruptive. So you really have to drop the ball to run someone off. That being said, that's not my standard. My, my standard is not, are they paying rent? My standard is, are they happy? Are they safe? Are, are we um, in some cases able to prolong their life because we can spot something that's, that's medically about to happen because we know them so well. You know, do we refer good vendors to them like hospice companies, like home health companies so that we can, you know, prolong their quality of life or help, help them get their mobility back in certain situations. So the number one thing is you have to care. I think the number two thing uh, that gives us a big advantage is that because we kind of come from a little bit different background than a lot of other operators, you know, we're not in some boardroom a thousand miles away uh, looking at numbers on spreadsheets. You know, we get to know the people we work with. We know our caregivers. We know our residents. And that matters. Um, so, and as you get bigger, sometimes you lose an element of that, but there always has to be somebody in your company that takes that role. So whether it be the administrator, the house manager, someone always has to be providing that personal touch so they feel like a person and not just 
someone living in room seven. And a lot of your customers, I mean, you're boutique and you're a little bit on the higher end, so you pay for what you get. Sure. Where, where would you say your, your average monthly rents are for these guys compared to the average or the high end? Yeah, so we're probably um, we're probably a little bit between 10 and 20% higher than the average rents. So in Texas, uh, a typical room for assisted living is about $3,500 a month. Our assisted living rooms are anywhere from like $4,500 to $5,500 a month. We also do memory care. Memory care means that we're taking care of those cognitive disabilities I'm talking about, dementia, Alzheimer's, things like that. And um, so prices for those rooms are anywhere be around 5,000, around 6,000. Um, so obviously memory care does cost a little bit more because there's a little bit more staffing involved, a little more training, a little more staff burnout, as you might imagine. So you know, we're, there, are, there are a lot of properties in Dallas that are more expensive than us. There's a lot of properties in Dallas that are less expensive than us. Um, the big thing we focus on is that we have more caregivers, uh, smaller space, so we don't have the fancy chandeliers and the fancy underwater treadmills and the gyms that people don't use. We've got good quality workers, caregivers that are there to make sure the process goes smooth. So we invest a lot of our expenses as, as labor and love, as opposed to gyms and things like that. Overwhelmed by the amount of stuff is on simple passive cash flow? Don't know where the heck to start? Go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash start to sign up or text the word simple to 314-665-1767 for the curated course to get you up to speed on the past two years of content. Again, join the free web course, The Journey to Simple Passive Cashflow. Go to simplepassivecashflow backslash start or text the word simple to 314-665-1767. In Texas, a little cheaper than the rest of the nation. What would that that price tag be in Washington State or yeah? So I mean, I mean, there are, there are uh, Texas is Texas is really pretty close to the national average. The national average for a private assisted living bed is about three thousand seven hundred fifty dollars. Texas is about thirty five hundred. So really, in a rounding error, really. So Texas is a very average market in terms of cost. Um, now, Texas is a big place. So Midland and Lubbock are going to have different rental rates than, say, Dallas and Austin, for example. So there are many places across the country. I don't know Washington State necessarily, but there are many places across the country where the average is $7,000 a month or $8,000 a month. Times if you have eight rooms, that's a big revenue number. Well, and then obviously if you have 16 or 20 or 10, I mean, it obviously makes the numbers get, get kind of bigger and bigger. Right. I think the most expensive market right now is Washington, D.C. So in terms of like numbers... The real estate's going to cost what it costs. Right. And I think that people can get an indication of what that is. But the biggest thing is your staffing costs. Sure. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So staffing is a big part of it. I think it's a good rule of thumb. Um, you can almost always say that if you're doing the right business plan, your your sort of net cash flow should be about 30% of your gross revenue. So after it's all said and done, your net cash flow should be about 30% of what your gross rents are. So you know, if any of your students are looking at this, they can obviously go to the residential assisted living academy.com, get some information. We have a class that will give them some financial tools to evaluate deals. But if they, they don't want to do that, uh, then one thing is just a good rule of thumb is you want to have about, you want to have a business plan that gets to about 30% of net cash flow. People are thinking about, oh, that's a big number, four grand times eight. And then sure. It's a couple of thousand.
thousand dollars for the mortgage. Right? Sure, sure, right. But they've got labor and they've got utilities and they've got food costs and they've got a lot of supplies in terms of like you know adult undergarments and cleaning supplies and you know you you've got definitely a lot of things associated with the business. But agreed, you know four thousand a month times eight beds is a, is a big number. But so is four thousand times eight beds times thirty percent. So. The, the, the business has excellent margins and it's, uh, it's an awesome opportunity because you can bring investors on and there's plenty of room, there's plenty of meat on the bone, so to speak, for investors to have a good investment for the operators to be well taken care of, even in deals that are a little on the smaller side. So one of the things I always say is typically an eight bed assisted living facility in a, in a decent price point will produce as much income as a 40 unit apartment complex, but for about half the price. So, you know, at $50,000 a door, 40 unit apartment complex would cost about $2 million. You can buy a very nice eight bed assisted living facility in a lot of markets for a million dollars. So it's half as much and produces the same revenue. So just to kind of give you a, just a kind of a good quick rule of thumb, if you're considering living apartments or assisted living, I would say it's probably for every one bed of assisted living, it's about five doors in the apartment complex. You know, high performers are always working on new things. What is something that you're working on these next six months and what's something you're playing around? You need a personal sure. you know, two weeks. I think you've been trying out. Okay. Well, I mean on the on the personal side, I've been trying to, you know, get in physical shape. So I'm starting to take Brazilian jiu jitsu. Okay. So I've been getting beat up a lot. So I'm looking at that personally and I've uh, gotten into maybe doing a little bit of competitive shooting, that kind of thing. But on the business front, uh, I'm very excited. We've been working on a really cool project. Uh, what I've always wanted to do is I've wanted to take a uh, plot of lands and convert it into uh, a planned care home community. So typically you have raw land and it's residential, you pull up, it's a neighborhood. Well, this would be the same type of neighborhood feel, but instead of being 3,000 square foot houses to hold families, it'd be 8,500 square foot houses that are going to hold, say, 16 seniors in each location, but they're all independently um, self-contained. So your staffing is not based on the whole community. Your staffing is only based on that one house. So if one has 16 and others empty, the one that's empty has no staff. With the idea being that you can create the quality care that we want that's so effective at the residential model, but it solves the problem of how do you scale having multiple properties all over town. You put them all on one plot of land. You can have maintenance staff. You can have a sales and leasing person executive and you can build you know 80 bed 100 bed facilities and not sacrifice any of the quality of care that you yeah. kind of staked your reputation on but the hurdle is a lot of the zoning was it the zoning requirements they're, they're gonna be like no no we don't want this many assisted living sure in one place. so most cities have uh, minimum uh, distances so basically they don't want a developer to go in and buy an entire street and turn all of them into assisted living frankly I think that's a misguided rule because I think they're well-behaved tenants right? they're they're very well-behaved tenants um, they most assisted living facilities are going to have great landscaping out front. They're going to look good because it's hard to tour something that's beat up and dilapidated. Plus, you've got the fire marshal coming in periodically, the state coming in. These are the best neighbors you could ever they don't, imagine. They don't take up the street parking. There's, <laughs> there's hardly ever any parking. Uh, you know, there's no wild parties. Everybody's in bed at you know seven, eight p.m. Yeah. It's the ideal tenant. But cities have kind of gotten out of this idea that somehow there'd be some relationship between putting in residential assisted living and property values. I've seen some studies that are a little bit dated, but there's really no correlation between a, a, a group home of any kind and property values going down. But it's a common myth out there. So cities have put these rules in place. But if you're in a commercial piece of land 
and you have the right density zoning, you can go in and build sort of the, the residential community that I want to build. So this is going to be a residential care home community. It's going to look and function a lot like maybe an apartment complex, um, but all the buildings are single story and they look like a house. Like a village. Yeah, exactly. Like a... Yeah, exactly. So sort of a village, but the village is comprised of caregivers and assisted living people that need a little bit of help or people that have memory loss or dementia or Alzheimer's and they'll be in separate little uh, houses. What's fascinating about this and what really excites about this model is when you have individually self-contained houses, you uh, you can do any niche you want. So if there's a community uh, that's, if the community supports, say, enough people with Parkinson's, you could open a Parkinson's house where you specialize in that type of care. If um, there's a very strong Jewish community, you could have a kosher house. Um, any any genre or subgroup you can think of, you could have a house for veterans. You could do any genre or subgroup you wanted to as long as the market supported that. Right. And if, as, as time changed, if the community changed a little bit, maybe the demographics changed, you would always slowly be able to bring the house back as your residents you know, basically moved on. You would be able to then go in a different direction. Right. So it allows you to cater to any group that's large enough to fill a house of eight people. You're or creating or extra people. value because, I mean, I care about these um, racial homogeneous houses not saying it's right or wrong but that's what they like that's what they like to buy into. well i mean it's it's it doesn't have to be about that it, it's, it could be a cultural thing so for example if you're if you're 80 years old and say you're korean and you're losing your memory even if you live in america for 60 years uh and you're losing your memory you're basically going backwards in time so you may think it's 1960 or 1950 and, you know, my caregivers, they'll give it a shot. But if I have a caregiver <laughs> that specializes in or a chef that specializes in cooking Korean food and the newspapers are in, in Korean, then it would resonate. And it's the same thing if someone wants to eat kosher food or, you know, if you want to be um, in a place where everyone has the same condition as you because you feel like the caregivers are going to specialize in that. So it, it could be along any number of lines. Now, of course, we're not going to discriminate against anybody. They can choose where they want to live. It's just if you have a house that has a Korean newspaper and cooks nothing but Korean food, probably Koreans are going to want to live there or people that are really, really interested in Korean They really culture. like the food. Yeah, too, correct. Right? Yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> Korean food's kind of exploding, so we might be doing ourselves a disservice, but that might happen with the millennials. I don't know that some of our 85-year-old residents are going to be time, eating kimchi. Absolutely. So the millennials, who knows, will be eating all kinds of stuff. So millennials will probably want to be in uh, diverse houses, you know, so they can feel good about it. And then the thing right now is because of the zoning, the idea is to get independently operated by different operators. But well, not independently together. Well, no, um, not necessarily. Be, well, so it'll all be owned and managed by the same company. They'll just be independently addressed and probably independently licensed. Oh, okay. Uh, the project we're working on is in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and we've got a really, really good, strong team that's got a good background in both Lake Charles, obviously in assisted living with myself, and then also ground up development with a couple people on the team. So um, the goal here is, is to petition this state to see if they would allow us to get an exemption on the licensure to basically treat them like they're 16-bed facilities but have them under one common licensure. There's some technical reasons for that. If they don't, then we'll independently address them all. and They'll all be independently licensed, uh, still owned, by, and operated by the same company, essentially, the same controlling parties, which means that uh, they're separate. So if someone moves yeah. into the assisted living house and then later – it's a diagnosis for dementia or Alzheimer's. All they've got to do is move next to it. So it's a very simple and easy process so that if they graduate to different levels of care, 
or if even socially they, they come to the point like, hey, you know, I really wish there were more women I could chat with in this house. How's the how's the demographic at the other house? Maybe I can go chat with a friend. So just move move next door, move across the street into a house that's a little bit more friendly for your environment. So it's like basically going to the city and saying, hey, we're going to, this is going to happen. Which way do you, would you rather have this? Well, it's actually in this case the state. The city is probably going to be very open. Um, we've got some land adjacent to what we're doing that's um, much higher density. It's multifamily. So the multifamily got approved. So we really don't think the senior houses have any problems with the city. It's just asking the state, hey, can we maintain a certain license versus another license? You know, we can petition them. We can make the request. We're fully prepared. And there actually is some advantage to having them all be independently licensed and then really addressed for the exit strategy because say you have a smaller investor that wants to get in the space. They don't want to buy 80 beds or 128 beds. They'd love to buy 16 or 32. You can now sell the individual properties off, maintain the management. So you still keep the economies of scale. And now they have a more bite sized investment for them to start in as opposed to trying to buy an entire facility. So there actually is some elegance in terms of the exit strategy to potentially keep them as independently addressed, independently licensed. So you may be able to create some different revenue ideas with future sale opportunities. One of the first things I looked into getting away from Wall Street were the many crowdfunding sites out there. But I just was not into paying another middleman to give me a false sense of security and then take a chunk of the profits from the operator and me, the investor. Check out simplepassivecashflow.com backslash len or text the word money to 314-665-1767. These lending opportunities are exclusive to simple passive cash flow listeners to power operators I trust and will put my brand on the line with. Again, for more information, check out simplepassivecashflow.com backslash lend or text money to 314-665-1767. So you're traveling back and forth from you know, you're here in Texas, yep. but you also help out in Arizona a lot. So yep. Time timing home is pretty short. What's something that you've been burning your cash on or thinking about burning your cash on for time saving and just keeping a quality of life? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actively looking at um, trying to find one of those uh, sort of airline clubs where like they have, cause there's a lot of Houston, Texas to Lake Charles traveling for energy reasons. Mm-hmm. And I'm just hoping I can find one that like goes to Dallas to Lake Charles. It would be kind of nice to just be able to jump on a, Oh, somewhat private plane. You've got to go to Houston then. Right. So at that point, you might as well drive. Right. So there's a few direct flights from Dallas to Lake Charles. are kind of weird times. So I'm just really hoping I can find like a travel club where you can pay a certain amount a month and just travel to right. Lake Charles as, as much as you want. I know there's a bunch of people in our group here that uh, buy their own planes, right? Oh. Maybe that might be a better give up that. Yeah, I've got, a, I've got a long way. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a, the Brazilian just is slightly cheaper than the plane. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I've got a long way to go. Uh, until the uh, the plane thing comes to reality, right. but I do remember um, they did an interview with Warren Buffett, and they said, you know, had this tremendous life, tremendous wealth. You know, what's the one thing that you couldn't live without? He's like my plane. Yeah. It's not my house, not my boat. It's my plane. My plane allows me to come and go as I please, and it gives me a sense of freedom. And uh, you know, I'm a long way from that, uh, yeah. but I do see how valuable it would be to just be able to, hey, you make your own schedule. You come and go as you please. Right. You know, you're, you know, you make your own decisions, and you know, when you're in business or when you're in charitable works or whatever you're in, you know, the freedom to come and go, it makes a big difference. Time and money are interchangeable. And I think plane, I mean, you can probably think of maybe something else, but planes compress time. Sure. 
something pretty rare that does that. And you can, and you know, you can work while they're flying. So not only are you, you can be productive and it's quicker. So, but right now I'm just going to be a road warrior and burning up miles <laughs> on Southwest. So, well, you keep doing what you're doing. I'm sure, I'm sure I'll be riding the thing one day and then hit on somebody. That would be uh, <laughs> say, say joke one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, something that you recently changed your mind on. I think a lot of people who get to that next level, they're very self-aware and kind of change things along the way. What's something that you kind of thought at one time and then kind of changed maybe the last few years or recently? Well, probably the two biggest things for me is at the time I, I thought I may get into um, buying more traditional 100, 200 bed assisted facilities. And while I am developing an 80 bed facility, it's much more consistent with my values and the things that I want to do. Right. So I've kind of put on hold looking at the um, buying traditional large box assisted living facilities because I've now got an opportunity to design exactly what I think the best model of care is. Um, you know, this, what we're doing really won't work in every market. You've got to find a place that has decent land prices, that has the demand, that has all those things. You may not be able to do a six acre thing in Washington, DC. Right? So you may have to say one day, I'm going to do large boxes living facilities in certain markets because I want to help people. I can improve the quality but it's not going to be my ideal vision, right? right? It's not going to be the exact thing that I want to do. So that's kind of one thing I've kind of put on hold. And the second thing is I actually was planning on kind of taking some time off and doing a little bit of traveling, much this chagrin of my wife. Um, I've had so many kind of things kind of come across my desk and some opportunities to help people by getting this new product open. Uh, I've kind of put that on hold. So hopefully we'll be able yeah. to travel again in a couple of years, but right now it's, you know, let's get these assisted living facilities yeah. open and help more people. Got to so. set the goals after that big milestone. Well, you know, we, we kind of hit it. We were trying to—I was trying to get to the point where I was working a certain number of hours in my Dallas business uh, with this assisted living piece, and I'm pretty much there. So most of my time now is doing stuff like this and, and, and interacting with investors and educating myself and you know, helping train people. So I don't really spend uh, hardly as much time as I did before. Um, you know, actually working in this living business. I've got a great team that takes care of things. You know, I'm, I'm involved to help out all the time, but it's certainly a manageable number of hours. So we could go travel now, but, uh, you know, when you've got good opportunities coming across your desk and you've got people that you know you can help if you do what you do, then yeah. it's kind of hard to say no. So at some point, I'm going to have to just say, you know what? Yeah. Let's go to Europe. When you get the plan. When you get the plane. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, it, you know, we all know it's a seller's market right now, and this is kind of going out to, like, the, the newer investor. What would you do if, if you were them? You know, they don't have too much capital, maybe like 20, 30 grand saved up. They're just kind of diving in. They don't know too many people. What do you think that that person should do? Well, I mean, I think if you've got $20,000, um, I would spend it on education. Um, you know, um, we, we were at a seminar today where a guy basically, he didn't brag, he was just being honest, that I spent a million dollars on personal development. You know, some of the smartest people around have spent several hundred thousand dollars on personal development. So, you know, if you've got $1,000, go to a seminar. If you've got $20,000, probably go to three to 10 seminars of various different value to educate yourself. Because the reality is what you'll find is, is that if you're new and you're not experienced, what you need is you need to get around people who have knowledge and who have experience and have connections. And you're like, what well, I spent all my money on seminars. Well, but the reality is, is that what you're going to do is you're going to, all those relationships you're going to build are going to basically translate into money either through connections where you're going to start doing things like syndication so that you can actually go out and do a project and maybe not have any of your own personal money in the deal, but put in the blood, the sweat, the tears, the sweat equity, as they say, so that you can help do that. And so 
Now I was fortunate, you know, the first couple of deals I did in senior housing, I didn't have any money to put in the deal because I'd just been educating myself on senior housing all the time. And as I'm sure you know, there's a lot of people that have a lot of capital that don't want to be at a conference on a Saturday, that don't want to travel to Phoenix to go to attend a class. And so for your newer people, if they have the time to invest, if they go out there and do those things, there's someone else out there who's got the opposite problem. They have too much capital, and they're, but they're not willing to do the things that uh, your listeners want to do. So it's a great opportunity, and senior housing is a great opportunity to, to get into this space. You mentioned it's a seller's market. Well, that's part of the reason why I got into senior housing was because I would go to these you know, great deal houses that you would, you know, you would flip, and I'd be bidding it's 10 or 12 other people on the spot you know, in these really aggressive markets like Dallas. Well, if you're buying it as an assisted living facility, I'm going to put eight residents in there and charge them $5,500 a month, and they're going to buy it to flip it, which one of us can pay more? So it's almost impossible to outbid me if I really want the project and it really works for me because I'm reimagining the use of the facility for the highest and best use. Whereas you're just, you know, putting in some granite. and So it just really doesn't, it really does allow you to combat that seller's market mentality because you can go in and you can turn a single family home into a eight, eight bed or a 10 bed small assisted living facility that is just a cash flow machine. And, you know, kind of going back in your story, maybe you didn't spend the money, but it, you essentially, you know, paid 50 to hundred grand working for Ken McEnroy, right? <laughs> so yeah. Just to learn. Yeah. So I, you know, I went from making, you know, X amount of dollars, was, you know, decent amount of money to I stepped way, way down in income, like, you know, 25, 30% of my previous income to, to, to work for a company that was highly respected that I wanted to get an education from. And then, you know, I'm, I'm spending time reading and traveling and doing all these things and educating myself. So, you know, when I originally my first investor, I said, listen, I don't have a lot of money to put in the deal, but what I am willing to do is I'm willing to not make money the next couple of years, which based on my old salary is a pretty significant investment because I'm betting on myself by the fact that I'm willing to live without income for a while so that I can prove this concept. And so, you know, I was working 60, 70 hours a week in the business, educating myself and, and not making any money at first. So it was definitely a bit of a grind. We teach people how not to do that. So I purposefully did that because like I said before, as a boxer, you want to get punched. You just you need to get it get it over with. If you're a football player, you get injured, you get back on the field. The first thing you want to do is get hit. Make sure the knees feels good, that you feel good. So, for me personally, I wanted to put myself in those situations. The vast majority of people that come through our academy, um, they don't want to do that. So we teach them how to either be very passive in the business, rent it to an operator, invest passively, or if they want to operate themselves, hire a staff and be hands off. So I don't want to, your listeners to feel like that you have to dive in and do like I did. I'm probably a little bit rare in that regard. Most people don't think like I want to get punched. And most people, if they bought a Dairy Queen, would not want to go cook the French fries. I'm not saying I want to, but I do want the lesson. I do want to educate myself. Um, and that just stems from personal experiences where I've been afraid when I didn't know how to recreate the magic or recreate the impact. Yeah, I mean, another way an investor could do it is get the land, find a local operator that does assist living and Piece to note over something like that. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, there's basically three ways. You can invest passively. You can, you know, you can get the land or get the, get the building, lease it to an operator, or you can own and operate. Those are basically your three ways. And different levels of involvement. Different levels of involvement, but 
But honestly, I mean, a lot of owner operators out there aren't really involved either. You know, once they get to a certain size, they've got a team, they've got a staff. And so, again, like I said before, my day-to-day operations, I'm, I'm way, way less involved. I'm way less involved with 40 beds than I was with 16 or I was with right. eight. You know, back then there was not enough revenue. So I was a lot of things. Right. Well, we got the last question here. Uh, it's that the Tony Robbins question that you know, he talks about the art of fulfillment and science of achievement. What's your, your first secret or hack to art of fulfillment and science of achievement? So I guess I've been science of achievement. How do you get things done? How do you stay so productive? Sure. Well, as far as uh, fulfillment, I mean, you know, I think for me, I had to find a business that I connected with. Like I said, I've done so many different things throughout my life in terms of real estate or sales. And, um, you know, it didn't really touch the heart. You know, every now and then you have a moment. But every day I, I get up and I know that I'm helping people. I'm helping provide you know, safe, clean, loving environments that need the help. And so, you know, it, I feel very fulfilled. Um, you know, people around me all the time tell me, like, you seem like a different person and so I definitely feel like that's brought on a big change in me is help is being of service to others. And as far as the science of achievement, um, I've always found that I'm a very uh, rare person when it comes to stuff like that. I my brain is constantly going, it's always on. And so I'm one of those people that every day I'm checking my to do list, I'm making certain that I take care of things. It's maybe not the most effective way to be productive. I manage it just fine because I kind of just in my mind go, hey, this is important, this isn't important. This is urgent. This is not urgent. So I'm sure following away in those quadrants, kind of figuring out what needs to be taken care of. So for me, it's like my brain's going all the time. And so for me, it's not achievement. It's relaxation is my biggest challenge. You know, like I put off my vacation. So busy people are always, that two-day list will never get. Right. You you find, uh, you want something done, give it to the most busy person you can find. Right. And they'll get it done. And that's kind of been my MO is just, you know, staying busy, staying active. And so, you know, I've, had brief periods of time in my life where I didn't do much, you know, maybe I was playing a little poker and hanging out and I hated it. I just, I wanted, you know, even when I went on a long vacation, I'm like, I got to get back to work. So I've just kind of got that drive and that, that thing in me where I'm like, okay, look, there's a problem out there. I want to go solve it. And so for me, it's, I don't want to say it's a game, but I kind of approach it like a game because I just want to kind of see constant improvement with myself, constant improvement with my company. It's kind of like, you know, leveling up in a video game. I'm always trying to level up as a person, level up as a company, level up as a businessman. Yeah, I'm always like trying to tinker something and you see sure. the effect and like, ooh, sure. Or you're walking and you think of something and oh, let me go and let me get my, where's my computer? I literally <laughs> made a conversation at dinner. I'm like, hold on one second. I got to put this on my to-do yeah. list. I forgot about X, Y, or Z. So yes, my uh, my wife is a patient, patient woman. Uh, yes. Th- thank you, honey. Makes you Sorry. a little bit of a scatterhead. Sure. Like, yeah, of course. Kind of going about life. Think of other things. Yeah, I've run into a few walls. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I think a lot of people um, that kind of listen, they're maybe in their 30s or 40s, and they've got parents that are getting that age. And you know, this, this is the bad. This is the hard thing. Is they've got kids, and they've also squeezed between the older generation. Sure. Is what you know, just from your perspective, what, what should those guys do to you know, set their parents up? And, yeah. You know, so I'm, the parents maybe move into their house, but maybe not may not be best. Sure. Well, I think the first thing is, is that so many people come to me when the, an event has happened, a fall, they're being discharged from the hospital or a rehab, or, you know, mom or dad started to show cognitive decline. Maybe they, you know, sometimes even something as crazy as like they poison themselves by taking the wrong medicine or, you know, drinking something they shouldn't drink. And so, so many things are driven by an event. So what I tell everybody is plan now. And so in essence, have a game plan so that if something happens, you know what you want. 
So even if you think mom or dad's two or three years away from needing services, go out and meet the people that do what I learned. Get a, get some relationships built so that when you're in a crisis, you've already got that network of people you can call. And I'm happy, you know, obviously, if any of your listeners have any questions or feel free to email me and I'll do everything I can to guide them. You know, one of the things we do is if somebody comes to us, they're not a good fit, we'll help try to point them in the right direction. So obviously being 35, I got a lot of people that, you know, aren't really familiar with this product. So they might ask me a question or call me. So because you're in the industry. Yeah. Just because I'm the senior housing guy. I'm a 35 year old senior housing guy. Right. So, um, yeah, you know, when you post up my email address, your listeners are welcome to, uh, send me a quick email and you know, whatever area they're in, if I know someone in that space, in that area, I can point in that direction. If they have a general question, I'm happy to help them any way that I can. But in terms of marketing for you guys to fill vacancies, is there any kind of like a national board to locate assisted living facilities for your family? Um, there, there are, there is a, there's a couple national companies. Um, you know, some people like them. I don't personally like them. I think that the local placement agents um, are way more in tune with the market. You can build relationships with them. You know, if you're a national company and I'm calling someone that's in five cities over or, you know, in a totally different state, they've never been to my facility. They don't know me. So I'm just a commodity. Right. And the one thing about senior housing, maybe the best thing about and they're senior going to go housing, more institutional as opposed to. Well, no, I mean, they, they understand that care homes and, and residential assisted living facilities have a huge place in the market. But what I'll tell you is we're, we're pictures online where we're a commodity in their world. And the one thing about senior housing is we absolutely are not as a commodity. Families come in, there's an energy, there's a feeling. They meet residents, they meet caregivers. You know, how was the caregiver nice to them? Was the caregiver smiling? Were the, did the residents seem safe, happy, and clean? And none of that stuff can come across on the internet. Right. None of that stuff can come across. Some of it come across on the phone call, but not all of them. So the reality is, is that placement agents or marketers that come into your facility and physically know what you look like and know who you are and get that energy and get that vibe. When they get it, they get it. And they're going to say, Hey, let me make you my first phone call as opposed to let me send your, let me send the client to 20 people and you're just a commodity at that point. Cause this is, we're caring for people. So this isn't, this isn't not an apartment where there's maybe 10 of them. They're exactly the same. This is all about the quality of the care, quality of the food and the quality of the communication. And that stuff really can't, it's not a commodity. It's, it's a, uh, it's a service. Maybe you should start a residential assisted living marketing company so you can find the distressed. We are in the process of building an association so we can kind of bind a lot of these houses together. But, um, you know, if someone else wants to do that, I'll be their biggest advocate yeah. and biggest supporter. They'll give you the lead. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? Uh, Godspeed to them. They're welcome <laughs> to do that. Um, I'm happy to pay a placement agent fee for doing that work. We do a lot of organic marketing, but we also pay placement agents because we're doing a lot of hard work and I want to focus on my core business, which is taking care of all right, well, we'll appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having yeah, me. We'll get um, your information on there. and uh, Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Enjoy it. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Lane. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.